0: The year 2022, uh, we don't know what tomorrow may bring. We have no idea. We have no idea what our leaders have in mind. Uh, we know that there are certainly threats out there. But we can be encouraged of knowing that we have a God who is able to take care of us. Regardless what happens. My God is able And when the Apostle Paul was writing this letter, Christianity was under tremendous persecution. Uh, Christians were fleeing. By the time he wrote this letter, uh, many of the Jews had already been killed. More than 240,000 of them slaughtered. Uh, And there was uh, tremendous tremendous havoc going on uh, within the, the Roman world. Uh, There were several coups that were trying to bring down the Roman government. And uh, there was a Caesar that wanted to put all the blame on Christianity. And Christians were being martyred by the hundreds of thousands. And the Apostle Paul is now ending up in prison. And he's soon to have his head cut off. And he's not concerned about any of this. He's writing about a God who is able... Because he knows that there's something far bigger than this world. Something far greater than the problems that this world brings upon mankind. And uh, and there is a world to come that is going to be glorious. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be beautiful. And while all those things were going on in his day and time. And while he understood that in the future things will continue to heat up. He encourages those that he's writing to as he wrote to the church at Ephesus as the letters were being circulated among the churches intended to encourage Christians throughout all of Asia Minor and around the world and throughout the ages of the church uh, that uh, we have a God who is able, a God who is able to take care of us just like he took care of uh, those Hebrew uh, eunuchs that were cast into the fiery furnace that we read about there in Daniel chapter 3 when they said so it be our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of thy hand O king one way or the other he will deliver us uh, it, it doesn't make any difference Uh, It could be being consumed in the fire, or it could be that the Lord will consume you. But he is there to deliver us, and he is able, and he certainly will take care of his children. When we get over to the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 begins with a prayer, and then all of a sudden he interrupts his prayer. And then uh, after he's through interrupting his prayer, in verse number 14, he continues with his prayer. If you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, you notice he says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner, he's in prison, he's a prisoner, but he's a prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles. He's willing to suffer for us. He's willing to be in bonds for us. He's willing to take the gospel to a world that is hostile, to a world uh, uh, that is mind, and by the power of God to deliver those that are in darkness, to snatch them from the the fiery uh, grips of hell, and to bring them into the glorious light of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's praying. He's praying for those that have been snatched. And so he interrupts his prayer in verses uh, 2 through verse number 13. And then he uh, gets back to his prayer in verse number 14. So he says, for this cause I pray and I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in who? Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. Father, bless our time together as we look at this prayer. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Well, as the outline reveals, there are seven things that I want to share with you uh, that God is able to do. First of all, he is able... Uh, to name every one of us and know what he has named us and uh, when we get to heaven you're not going to bear uh, the given name that you have now Uh, you're going to have a new name that new name that God has given to you is a name uh, that our Lord definitely knows he knows Every star that he's ever created, he's named every star that he's ever created. And he has not forgotten why he has named every star. And so he is also able to name and to remember all of us for whom he has named. If you take your Bibles and look at Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 17... There in Revelation chapter 2 and verse number 17, he now writes to the church at Pergamos. And he said in verse number 14, I have a few things against thee because thou hast there them that hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to cast a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed unto idols, and to commit fornication. So hast thou also them that hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He that hath an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the church is. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written which no man knoweth saving he that receiveth it. You see when we get to heaven we that have been faithful to put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, we who are referred to as the overcomers based on 1 John chapter 4, where in 1 John chapter 4, God makes it very clear that those who overcome have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we who put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not interested in doing the best that we can in merchandising the church. Uh, We're not interested uh, in uh, doing what we can uh, to get people to get involved in giving us money for whatever information we can sell to them. We see a lot of that going on today. That is the doctrine of Balaam, Uh, and it caused the children of Israel to stumble. The doctrine of the Nicolaitans was like the doctrine of the libertines. Uh, You're saved by grace, so go out and sin as much as you want because you're at liberty uh, to do so. You're no longer under the law where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. And so uh, you uh, don't have to worry about what sins you commit, they're all under the blood. God sees them no more, so eat, drink, and be merry. And God says, that doctrine I hate. Uh, God's grace does not give us a license to live like the devil. And we must understand that. And yet there were churches as early as Paul's day that was teaching that kind of doctrine. And uh, God referred to it as the doctrine of the Libertines and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. No, God expects us to live holy and clean lives. And when we get to heaven, he's going to give us a new name. And that new name is going to represent the life that you live. Uh, It's going to represent your character in this world. It's going to represent your faithfulness. Uh, It's going to represent who you are uh, when people aren't watching. And he will give you that name. Uh, and so we need to be careful of what we're doing when people aren't watching. When I was a student in high school, I didn't know anyone was watching, and I was picking my nose. And I had a friend. Well, at that time, he wasn't my friend. His name was Daryl Riley, and he caught me doing that. I didn't know that anyone was watching, and so he gave me a nickname. He called me Boogs because he found out what I was doing. And as a result, uh, we ended up into a little bit of a, a little of a, we might call it a Donnybrook or an altercation. And from that, we became friends, but he didn't call me Boogs anymore. But, you know, God is watching what you're doing. Can you imagine in heaven being called Boogs for the rest of your life? (laughs) And so he's watching. All right, so brother, you got here, you got here by the skin of your teeth. How about I call you slothful? Yeah, would you I don't think anyone, uh, how about I call you late for dinner, you know? Uh, how about I call you faithful? You know? And so God has names for us. And by the way, He has robes that also represent our acts. Of righteousness in the acts that we live. And so he is able. He is able to watch us. He is able to name us. He is able to remember what he has named us. And uh, we must understand. That because he is omnipresent. And he is most most powerful. Therefore we need to respect the fact that his eye is on the sparrow, and his eye is also on you. And that ought to keep us a little bit more mindful of what we do. When I was a little boy, if I didn't think Mom and Dad was watching, I was doing things sometimes I shouldn't be doing. But if I knew they were watching, I made sure that I wasn't doing that. Well, God is always watching And so we need to understand that. There's no closet that you can hide. There's no secret room that you can go to. Uh, We understand, and we've showed you before there in Psalms 139, where can I go from the Lord? Well, you can't go anywhere that God does not see. I mean, he can see you wherever you are. You could go into the darkest cave, and he is there. You can go down into the deepest sea, and he is there. You can fly to the highest mountain, and he is there. Uh, there's nowhere that you can go from God. And God is everywhere. God sees everything. Secondly, we read that he is able to strengthen your soul to stand strong. Notice he said to be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. You see, <clears throat> as we draw close to the Lord... God gives us a wonderful, wonderful ability to give us the no so that we can do it. He gives us the grace, the desire, the power, but the no so I, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I know that God's going to use me. You know, when my wife and I surrendered to going to the ministry... I wasn't sure how it was going to happen. I was a little bit timid and fearful, but I knew God was going to use me. We had a business. I was involved in scrap metal business. We weren't getting rich, but I was making good money back in those days. And I had a very large clientele of air conditioning and refrigeration contractors, plumbing contractors, electrical contractors, radiator shops, all kinds of machine shops and and, uh, pool supply companies and repair companies that would save all of their non-furious scrap metals for me. And they trusted me because I was Christian. There was a lot of guys, they wouldn't allow in their yard, but they would allow me. I could come in there with my truck, and I usually had some helpers. Many times I hired young people from our youth department. And I traveled all over Southern California loading up those trucks Bringing them home, sometimes I'd take a two-ton truck with a lift gate, go over to the Yuma, come back completely full. We'd strip down all the metal and sell it. And there were times that I would make as much as four, five hundred dollars back in those days. That was good, good days uh, for several weeks in a row, every day four and five hundred dollars. And every now and then, during a good week, sometimes I'd make seven, $800, a $1,000 a day. We never had any bills. We never uh, had uh, any credit as we paid cash for everything. And God was good to us. We was living in a really nice little house. We had, some, had a cow and a couple pigs and some chickens. And God was really good to us. And uh, God began to tug at my heart as I crossed uh, those desert valleys on my way to Blythe and going in those early days out there to Havasu City, uh, looking up the clients that I had, buying from them. And the Lord would speak to my heart and say, well, is this what you want to do for the rest of your life or do you want your life to count for me? And God began to speak to my heart about being a pastor. I was so nervous when they gave testimonies. I would sit there and the palms of my hand with sweat thinking about speaking up and sharing a testimony with the congregation. I, just, I was just fearful about getting in front of people. I was always nervous, always my hand shook. My whole body would shake when I think about doing something like that. I thought, well, I, I'm just too nervous. My, and it, it shows up in my voice. My voice would tremble. I could never stand before people, but God says, no, you can do it through me. I'm able to strengthen you in the inner man. And somehow in my soul, I knew that God was able to do it. And I thought, well, wait a minute, God, how can I go to Bible college and support my family and maintain this business? God said, don't worry about it. You can do it. And we did it. We went through Bible college. I took a full load and graduated, graduated with good grades. I was able not only to do that, but uh, also maintain uh, a youth department. Of course, my wife helped a lot with that, and to do everything else that a deacon had to do at the church. And yet, uh, for some reason, God gave me the ability to be good steward of the time that we had, to be able to go to Bible college, to be able to support my family, and to graduate. And then he assured me in my heart that I could go to the state of Washington, and by his grace, he would use me to start a church. You know, if you don't have that kind of confidence, you don't step out by faith to do it. And those that are fearful and afraid, and they don't have that strength within the inner man, they never do it because they don't have the confidence that God can do it through them. But as we get close to the Lord, I knew that my God is able. I knew that God could do something through me that I could not do apart from him. And so my wife believed that God could work through us. And so as a family, off we went. And by the grace of God, a church was established. Souls were saved. And God began to do a wonderful work in ministry through our lives. And it was all because God had strengthened me in the inner man. As we spend our relationship with God, we must get to that place to where we know that we can stand, where we know that by the grace of God that we're able to do it. I know that this is a familiar passage passage of scripture, but I think it's worth repeating, and that's Back over in Ephesians again, if you'll go there and look at chapter 6. And there in verse number 13, in Ephesians chapter 6, we are told with great confidence uh, that we are able to stand. He says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God that ye may be able. And see, God can assure us that we are able to withstand. I knew that there would be oppositions. I knew that there would be attacks. I knew that the enemy would do everything that he could to stop me. I was already forewarned of those things by the testimonies of pastors who had been church planting before I ever thought about this. And they shared with me how God was able to provide and how God was able to take them and put them where he had called them And used them to build a work for him. And I felt within my heart. Well he is the same God that lives in my heart. And if God can do it through them. He can do it through me. But we must come to that place. To where we can take that whole armor of God. That we may be able to withstand. In the evil day. And knowing that sometimes. All we can do is just simply stand. And there were times where we did stand. We stood having our loins girded about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness. We stood with our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We stood uh, with the shield of faith, believing God could do it, and he did it. But we must understand that we have to be properly dressed. We must be clothed with those spiritual tools that we received from God's toolbox, the Holy Word. And so we went to the state of Washington, and we stood. There were evil days. There were good days. But God saw us through, and God was able to use us. We see, thirdly, that he is able to dwell in you while he dwells in the hearts of billions more. To me, that was always something that just fascinated my thought. That I put my faith in a monotheistic God that lives in my heart, and yet he lives in your heart. The true and living God, for which he declares there's only one, and besides him, there's none other. And yet he lives in my heart as well as he lives in your heart. One of the most fascinating things I had found was when my wife and I took our first mission trip to Romania. And we met with those pastors in those churches that suffered during uh, the communistic uh, regime. And uh, we heard the stories, and we saw the pictures of 40 years of oppression, and yet they were able to stand. And they had the same spirit, though they spoke a different language. Uh, we could sense that we were brothers and sisters in Christ, that the same Lord that dwelled within us dwelt within them. And the same truths that we understood that they understood. As we walked into their, their little humble sanctuaries and auditoriums, and we saw, written in Romanian language, uh, a timeline of uh, Daniel's prophecy a timeline of Revelation 6 through Revelation 19 pictures of uh, the church being snatched away and and testimonies of God's people coming together it was exciting and then we got on that mosque Moscow Express and brother Matheny and I went up into parts of Kishida up there in the country of Moldovia that's part of Russia and uh, as we were on that express to uh, to have the opportunity when we got off from uh, that Moscow Express there in Chisinau uh, to have Bibles and hand them out to the people and see them do the same thing that we witnessed there in Romania, they taking the Bible and kissing the Bible. For some had never seen a Bible for 40 years because their Bibles were taken from them. Their church buildings were burned. Their pastors were in prison, and they suffered greatly. We met with those Russian brothers and sisters there in Moldovia, and uh, and they shared their stories as they brought an interpreter in and told us their stories and showed us their pictures and took us where we could see their buildings. We had that same kindred spirit. My wife and I, we had a wonderful trip over into the Holy Land and the Israel. We had an opportunity to meet the missionaries there in Jerusalem and in Bethlehem and uh, other places there as we were over there on the other side in Amman, Jordan. And we found the same thing to be true. Uh, the same spirit, the same kindred spirit, the same heart, the same faith, the same truths. And that God is the same Uh, Jesus Christ is being lifted up all around the world. How exciting that is! One day we're all going to stand together, all of those for which the Lord dwells within their hearts, all of those for whom He knows their names, and they're going to stand before the Lord. The Bible refers to it in a beautiful picture in Revelation 15 as a sea of glass. In Revelation fifteen and verse number two, and I saw as it were a sea of glass, a sea of glass that was mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory, the victory over the beast, and over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, they stepped. And there they stood on that sea of glass, having harps of God, and they sang. And they sung of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, having great and marvelous are the works, Lord, God Almighty, just and true, are they ways and the kings of the saints, and who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, and thy judgments are made manifest how exciting that will be what a beautiful picture that is as a multitude of people from every nation and kindred and tongue stand before the lord that were saved out of great tribulation as they stand before the lord and as they sing before the lord and and then there is the church that is on that throne And the rainbow that is around about the throne from one end of the throne to the other end of the throne. And that sea of glass from a multitude of people that stretches across the heavens uh, to where it is like the ocean that has no end. Realizing that we're in a heavenly place. And realizing that these people are before the throne of God and we are now seated with him on the throne of God. While billions rejoice for whom the Lord had dwelled within their hearts. And now we're forevermore with him. And while we're doing all of that, that whole huge episode that is called the throne of God is being lifted up by the mighty angels called the seraphims and the cherubims. As they are singing, they are praising God, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. What a beautiful sight. And this is something that God says, I want you to comprehend. I want you to understand. I want you to understand and to realize that this is the great faith that dwells within your heart that one day will become a reality. And so he has revealed to us and established his immeasurable love. As we are told there in verse number 18 and 19, That we may comprehend with all the saints, the tribulation saints, the Old Testament saints, we the church age saints, along with the millennial saints. That we may comprehend with all saints what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the depth, what is the height, and the know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge. Wow, to think that, that we can know him to understand him, to know his character, to know his being, to have comprehension of the fullness of who he is. It goes beyond human reasoning. As we think about what is said in the following verse, as we understand that he is able to give us the comprehension of the fullness of his person, the fullness of his character, that you might be filled with the fullness of God. The question that some ask, well, what does that really mean? Well, for us that know the Lord, I think we have an idea of what it means. We understand that God is everlasting. We understand that God is omnipotent. We understand the majesty of God goes far beyond the comprehension of our finite minds. We laugh at those that cavil and mock the word of God. That think that one day they can stand before God and reason with God. As we understand that his judgments are unsearchable. His ways are past finding. And who can know him? And yet he knows us. And he's given us an understanding of who he is. We were out visiting Brother... <clears throat> Jerry and I, and we were talking with a, a person that was of um, a gay lifestyle that refuses to put his faith in Christ because he disagrees with God on certain issues of morality and that uh, if he and God could have a talk, he would share with him his disagreements. Well, you know how futile that is. a little old peon man to think that he can stand before God and argue with God on God's morality. You know, when you stand before God, your heart will be stricken with fear. You will be trembling on your knees with your face buried in the ground. And it'll only be by His loving touch that will give you the strength to stand as He did with John, as He did with Daniel. Can you imagine if you don't know him what that touch may be? Especially when you hear the words depart from me ye that work iniquity for I never knew you. And a strong angel casts them into the lake of fire. That's a very awesome scene and a fearful scene. When I stand before God I want to make sure not only that I know him, but he knows me. He says, my sheep know me, and they follow me, and I give unto them eternal life. You see, when we know him, we know that he knows us because his spirit now bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And somehow we can comprehend the fact that in God's person, he is no longer an angry God, but a loving father. And by the indwelling spirit, we can now cry, Abba, Father. And somehow in our hearts, uh, we understand that God is reverent, God is holy, and God is to be feared. And yet God is love. And we can understand that in his holiness and his righteousness, we fall short. But through his grace that has been provided by his Son, we can find acceptance in the beloved. And God has given to us that comprehension of the fullness of his person, the fullness of his character. And then as we come to a close, we see that God, he is able. To do more than what we could ever ask or think. That he is incomprehensible. Uh, Our five minds could never understand God. It will take us all of eternity. In asking questions and dwelling with him. That we may get just an inkling of his wisdom. Therefore. Paul writes unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. But it's according to the power that worketh in us. You see that power is called the power of faith. For without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And as our faith grows, our comprehension begins to grow. As our faith grows, we begin to believe God uh, for the impossible. We begin to have the faith of a man like a George Mueller that can take in hundreds of children with no money to feed them and believe that God will put a table that is fit for a king to feed them. And then, uh, as they prayed and asked a blessing on the food, knock comes to the door, without any knowledge of knowing that this was going to happen. And some huge restaurant catering to a large banquet that was canceled would bring the food in and set it on the table for the offerings of George Mueller. We hear those stories time and time and time again of God's amazing provision. We see the stories and hear the faith of great men that had dreamed big dreams and God fulfilled them. I remember years ago standing with Brother Paul Chapel at the campus of Pacific Coast Baptist Bible College uh, when they were going through some great struggles and dealing with some doctrinal issues and we were both trustees and and uh, the church was, I mean, the school was just about ready to fold up because of all the indebtedness and all the issues. And Brother Chapel said, you know, Brother Nolan, I've got 25 students. This was back in about 1988. He said, I got 25 students. We just bought 40 acres of land. We built us a 1,200-seat auditorium. And uh, he says, I believe that I'm going to. Start my own Bible college. And uh, I was there when he told me that story. And now to walk on that campus, to see sometimes as many as a thousand students and see those beautiful facilities, much of it is all paid for. And many preachers thought, what is he thinking? To realize that now he's known all around the world. God had enlarged his faith. Yeah, it's just amazing as we look back and we see the stories and we hear the testimonies of how God has used men to do marvelous things. And then yet there are those little preachers. And we we haven't heard the rest of their stories because we don't know the people that they've reached. And we don't know the people that have gone out from among them and where they have gone and what they have accomplished. Uh, We don't know how uh, the work and the gospel has proliferated. But we do know that we led people to the Lord. And we do know that we sent them out. And one day we're looking forward to finding out what our investment has realized. And we won't know until we get to heaven. And then we'll know about those celestial dividends. So how important it is... To believe God and trust God. To be faithful to serve Him. To be faithful to witness to others. To make your life count for the Lord Jesus Christ. So that one day when you stand before the Lord, you will see the fruit of your labor. In closing, we read that He is able to reveal His glory. He reveals His glory through His church unto him be glory in the church God is able to do that my wife and I down through the ages stand back with great joy to think that uh, at one time it was only a dream and only a vision and to see the church grow and to hear the praises and hear the testimonies and, and see the results and how God's name is exalted and lifted up and how churches have been planted and started. And we understand that it has nothing to do with us, but it's all the glory of God, and God reveals that glory through the church. And what a blessing it is, and what it does our heart good to come here on a Sunday morning and, and this little old building to hear the, the, the resounding joy from people singing psalms and hymns unto the Lord it brings great joy to our heart and causes us to give glory to God. And it's done in the church. And we've seen that throughout our lifetime, how important the church is. And I think that some stay away and they never witness the glory of God. They never see the power of God working in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls, transforming lives causing others to fall on their knees in repentance as they come before God and seek for deliverance. Unto him be glory in the church. And I pray that as we go into the year 2022, regardless what happens, we'll stand firmly upon these promises, that we'll make the prayer of the Apostle Paul as he prayed for the church at Ephesus as he prayed for the saints abroad, uh, that uh, we'll make this our prayer with every head bowed.